to the Board Game Battles podcast. I'm your host, Randall, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Hello. Hello. Uh, today's our 17th episode, and we're going to be discussing uh, two games from a couple of the greats out there for board game design in, uh, in the Euro games. Uh, two games, one by Stefan Feld and the other by Uwe Rosenberg. We're going to be comparing Castles of Burgundy versus Ora et Labora two uh, tableau building games that also have set collection within them and then afterwards we'll have a brief uh, imperial salt talk just to um just to go over the the last few blisters that they previewed and have now since released into the stores um so we'll talk a little bit about that at the end uh we'll get right into it first is going to be castles of burgundy the release dates were really close on these two i always try to go with the earliest first um, they both were 2011 releases. If I look at the English version releases, um, Castles of Burgundy came out in December of 2011, where Aura et Labora came out in January of 2012. So we'll talk about Castles of Burgundy first. Um, obviously, designed by Stefan Feld. We've uh, we've talked about his games, some of his games in the past, and he has a long list of of games that he's designed, and he continues to design multiple per year for quite a few years now. Uh, artists on uh, this one, Julian Delval and Harold Liesk. Publishers, Aliyah, Ravensburger, um, there's others as well, but those are the two big ones. Mechanisms, dice rolling, set collection, tile placement, and variable phase order. And it scores an impressive 8.1 from 27,000 uh, ratings. So pretty high out there and, and, and still one of the most you know popular games out there. Um, when you look at the, uh, the various things like rule books and components and all that, the rule book is a standard Aaliyah style rule book where you have all the rules um, described and then on the uh, right hand sidebar, a little a brief summary of each, each rule as we go through each section. So they're, they're well designed rules. Um, and it's not one other than when you're looking up what different tiles might mean. Um, one that you have to go back to a lot. Once you know how to play the game, you're not doing a lot of referencing back to the rule book it's just to look up what the tiles mean so pretty standard so it's a good rule book um and I, you know i don't think there's anything that's really hidden in it, it it's everything's fairly well well laid out and easy to find components um typical euro components so there's a mix of cardboard um of various uh, thicknesses um in this game everybody has a little player board which for their tableau and then there's a central board in the in the middle of the of the uh, table, and then a bunch of cardboard chits. Uh, cardboard for the the player board or for the player boards is a little thin, but it's because it's just sort of sitting there in front of you. It's not one that gets manhandled a lot, so they last fairly well. And then the cardboard for the main player board, and for the cardboard chits, while not the thickest out there, is decent quality. It's your standard Euro quality, so. Uh, you can't really complain about it, and then you, everyone gets some dice, a couple couple co- dice in their color. Um, so in your player, each there's four different uh, plays one of uh, two to four players. So each player color will get uh, two dice in their color. They'll get a couple um, couple little wooden uh, cylinders that one's used for tracking points, the other's used for determining player order, and then you'll have um, a, a one hundred slash 200 point token for if you lap the board for points uh keeping track of that 
otherwise that's the main thing you get for each player um what else you get are a bunch of goods tokens so they're they're square tokens they have goods of six different colors ranging and they have a number a die number on each one ranging from one to six so there's a bunch of goods uh there's uh, little silverlings they're called and that's the currency if you if you're when you're purchasing is silverlings there are uh, a bunch of there's a bunch of hexagonal tiles um, of six different I think it's pretty much six six different styles six different styles of tiles um, there's uh, tiles for pastures uh, castles uh, there's boat tiles mines there's city tiles and uh, technology tiles um, so each have a different role in the game as I go through the as, when I go through the rules um, and then other than that, there's also uh, worker tiles. They're square tiles that have a plus one and a minus one on them and a, and a picture of a little worker. And those are, those, are the, those are the essential components of the game. And you get one white die as well. So just a quick rundown of the rules. I'm not going to go into huge detail on these rules because there's so much to them. In, in, in a podcast, it would be really hard to really convey uh, how you play the game well if you really want to get a good grasp there's good there'll be videos out there if you don't want to just read the rule book look for good some good videos but just to give a quick rundown of the rules uh once you determine player order it's going to proceed clockwise until something makes the player order change um in a turn uh everybody will roll the dice and whoever's the first player will roll the white die as well the game consists of six uh phases with five rounds per phase and how you determine um, how rounds pass each phase has five good tokens that'll be stacked on on the board for each phase and at the beginning of uh, each phase you'll take the five good tokens for that phase and, and lay them out in a row um, right underneath right underneath the, the phase area and then each round you'll um, each round in that phase Everyone rolls their dice. The white die determines where the particular good that's rolled for that round goes on the board. How the board's laid out, there are six different um, sections that correspond to the numbers of the die, one through six. In each section is a place for four different types of goods. There's four warehouses, a warehouse in each section. And when the white die determines where the good for that phase will go to which warehouse. Uh, in the middle of the board is another area for tiles that you can purchase. And then there's a score track around the outside of the board. So each turn, what you're doing is you're rolling your two colored dice. And everybody in turn order takes their two dice and uses both actions. And the dice can be used uh, based on the number you roll for different things. They can take a tile from the board... For the area that you rolled so if you rolled a four you can go to the four section and take one of the available um, tiles that are there and put it onto your player board in a queue every player board has a has a space for three uh, tiles that you can queue up for placing onto your board in your player um, tableau zone um, so you can t use a die to pick a tile up and put it on your board you can use a die a die um, a die to take one of the tiles that's in your, in your queue and place it in the tableau area of your board in a corresponding space. So on in the tableau area of the player boards, 
It's a big hexagonal grid that has um, varying um, areas of different colors, and each uh, area will have dyed faces all over it um, when you place tiles based on the, uh, the die that you rolled. Uh, a die can also be used to be traded in to get two workers. So one die, regardless of the number, will get you two workers from the supply. Workers are used to mitigate the die roll. So one worker can increase or decrease the number on the die for that you, for you using to pick up or placing, uh, placing tiles. Also, um, and you can use multiple workers to affect the die. And it, it'll um, loop. So if you go from one, you can go to six or to two with one worker. And the last thing you can do with a, uh, a die is ship goods that are on your board. Everybody at the beginning of the game starts with three goods. You have an area on your, on your player board that has um, three different spaces for goods. And you always stack similar colored goods together. So if you started the game with two pink and one green, then you'd have one space available for adding additional goods to later. And then right beside that is a little area where any goods that you sell throughout the game will be put face down on. And so with one of your die, if you have a die, um, goods that match the number that are on that die, so like a four or whatever, you can ship the stack of goods that correspond. So if you have more than one good, you'll get points. So based on the number of players, when you're shipping goods, um, you'll get a number of points for each good in the stack. Um, so it could be for a three-player game, it'll be three points per good. So in a stack of three, you'll get nine points. And you also get a silverling. So you get one silverling regardless of how many goods you ship, but then you get points based on the number of goods you ship. So scoring points. Each phase has... A number of points associated with it so the very first phase has 10 points associated with it then it goes down by two for each phase after that so 10 8 6 4 and 2 so i guess there's only five phases not six okay yeah. five phases with five rounds each on your player board there are a number of different areas everybody starts with a, a castle if you're playing the basic version of the game where everyone's playing with the same um, player board then everybody's castles in the very center and then around that castle and you always have to build adjacent to something that you've built on the board so everybody's starting from the, the central castle there are also additional player boards that give you random um, layouts and so on those boards you're choosing where your initial castle starts and then building out from there so around that castle um, will be various uh, types of terrain that you can place on. Uh, on the starting one, you have a river going from two different sides of the castle away from it. You have a technology tree going off of one side. You have um, a single si a single tile city beside it. And then you have like a five-tile city on another side and a three-tile mining area going off of the last side of, the, of your castle. So when you're placing tiles from your queue onto the board, you're building directly next to that castle, and the die has to match you know, one of the ones attached to that castle to place onto it. And then different types of tiles, as you place them, will give you different benefits. Placing a shipping tile will advance you on the turn order track. So that whoever's farthest down the turn order track will be the first player. And then if you more than one person are stacked together, it works on its top-down 
um, turn order. So whoever is furthest and then top down determines the, how the order of the game. Uh, also, when you uh, do a shipping action, you get to take all the goods from one of the warehouses. So every phase when you're placing the die, um, pla- placing goods out, you know, in the various warehouses, someone does a ship, they can choose one of those warehouses and then take all the uh, goods that are associated with it and put them into their warehousing area on their player board. Now, if you're if you only have say one space free um, and you choose a space like a, a warehouse that has multiple goods, but you can only say warehouse one of them, then you only take the one good from the warehouse. You don't take them all. Anything that you can't take will get left behind. Um, placing a castle, another castle onto the board, gives you an immediate next an additional churn, which gives you the uh, which lets you use a die roll of any or die of any number. So it's like an extra die you've got of whatever number you want to do something with. Pick up, take, or whatever. Placing uh, city tiles, um, buildings into your city, into one of the cities, will give you a special action based on the building. Uh, placing technologies. Technologies give you different kind of benefits. Um, there's some technologies which will affect the game as you're playing it. Say, instead of taking uh, two workers for a die, you could get four workers for a die. Or, or various things like that. There are also technologies which affect endgame scoring. So giving you four points for every particular type of a building that's on your board at the end of the game. So there's two different types of technology tiles you can get. Pastures. Um, placing animal tiles onto a pasture will get you points equal to the number of animals on that tile. So it's typically chickens, pigs, cows, or sheep. Um, you'll, and they they'd range anywhere from two to four animals per tile. So if I was to place a tile of four cows into a pasture, I'll get four points right away. Uh, the benefit of sticking to a particular animal type, every time you add an additional tile to the same pasture that has animals that already exist in that pasture, you will add all the animals together and gain those points each time you place a tile. So if I were to add another tile of three cows to that pasture, I would get three plus the original four, so seven points right away. Uh, mines don't give you any benefit at when you first place them, but at the end of every phase, you get a silver based on however many mines you have. So getting mines early can be a good way to get silver for the game. And that's the different types of tiles you'll be placing. Uh, silver allows you to buy tiles from the middle of the board. So in the middle of the very board, there's a special area that has tiles that have black backs that get revealed every turn. Um, they contain tiles of all of the various types that are that exist throughout the game, but it gives you another way of getting additional tiles that aren't dice-related. For two silver, you can buy a tile, and it goes into your queue, and then using dice like normal, you can place it as, as you normally would. At the end of every phase... Um, Things get reset, so all the tiles come off of the board. Um, Tiles like the mine, the ships, and the castles don't necessarily have to come off because there's nothing unique about them. They're always the same, so they can stay on. But buildings and pastures and technologies will definitely all come off and get replaced by new tiles. Uh, We'll do this um, for a total of 25 rounds, you know, five phases, five rounds each. At the end, um, determining all the points, you get points based on um, 
points based on um, number of silver you have left over. Uh, every two workers is worth a point. And some technology tiles, like I said, give you points based on um, the various conditions. There's also, uh, as you fill up the various areas on your board, the first person to fill up a particular color of area, so say the castles, which are dark green, the first person to fill up all those dark castles will get a special victory point tile. Um, there's two victory point tiles per color. The first person to do it gets the bigger tile, which gives more points, and the second person to do it will get the smaller tile. So that's another way you get victory points in the game. Um, so at the end of the game, you'll, if you have any of those victory point tiles, you'll add those up and add them to your score. And at the end of the game, whoever has the highest uh, total is the winner. Um, I think I covered it. Oh, there's one thing I didn't cover. Every time you complete an area on your board, um, whether or not you've done all the different other colors of the area, every time you complete one particular area, so like uh, one pasture completely, depending on the size of the area, you'll get additional points. So like a, a single... An area that's only one tile will be worth one point. And then depending on the phase you're on, like I said, um, phases start at 10 points and go all the way down to two points, you'll add those points to the completed area. So a single point one is worth one. If you're able to do it on the very first uh, phase of the uh, the game, you'll get an additional 10 points, so it's 11 points. They range anywhere from one, and potentially on the board you're playing, could get as high as eight tiles. Um which is uh, really, I think there's only one board in the base game that even has an area that has eight in it. Uh, quite often you'll see a lot of threes and um, up to fives and even some sixes. Um, I don't know if I may have seen one that's a seven. I don't know. But they get worth more and more points as you go up. So like a one is worth one, two is worth three, all the way up to 36 points if you have an eight. Um, six is 21 and five are 15, which are the more typical larger ones you'll see on these boards but so those are that's another way that you're getting points in this game as as with Steppenfeld games there's usually quite a few ways to get points I think he's known as point salad sometimes but um it's it flows fairly well so yeah now that I think that covers everything for basically how to play the game and, and how you get points uh we played this a few times we even played it two times just before recording just so um everyone can get a good feel for the game and yeah it is one of those games it, 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 you sort of see where everybody is on the on the score track as you're going but there's so many things that'll affect the score especially near the end of the game that it can jump quickly because i was like this last game i was running at the very end of the pack and i was able to jump up based on various scoring conditions to be second i didn't win but i got second last couple games in a row <laughs> Well, it depends on like the size of the areas if you're playing with the random maps. So if yeah. you if you have like an eight space one that you can complete for thirty six points, regardless of what phase you complete it in, mm -hmm. that's a huge boost to points. That's a big boost. Yeah. Where yeah. if you have a bunch of singles and you can complete them early, the bonus ten points right off the bat is huge as well. Like it just there's so many different ways to play it that the points just seem to you'll have people that jump out really early and you think, oh, I'm never going to catch them. And then there'll be like one move you can make later on that just Yeah, you get a couple areas and then you're, ca you're catching up to them yeah. real quick. Yeah. What do you think, Drew? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sh that, that last game, I, I think uh, 
the scenario Jeff just described was was what was happening. I I led. I think. Yeah, you pulled right quick. till the very end of the game. That it was it was actually the last. Um, it was end, end game scoring that that did me in. Mm-hmm. And you had technologies that were like oh, they huge. Were, that they, they were, were amazing. Yeah, he had technologies that would allow him to adjust the die rolls without having to use workers um, for picking up and for placing. Yeah, picking up, placing any and, tiles, um, and one that made your workers plus or minus two instead yeah, of plus, instead or, minus of plus or minus one. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did a lot of good deadly tiles. knowledge co- uh, combinations. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which is I think why I led the 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 whole way at you know in that second game, but it um, just is the end game yeah. scoring. You just couldn't yeah you know, get the extra points to to stay in the lead. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, then, actually, and, and I and I had three of the um, built your all your pasture land. Yeah, or, yeah I, first. I yeah I had hit. Uh, I didn't get technology first. I got that second because Randall got tech. Uh, yeah, sorry, the, the knowledge. Game, um, the knowledge uh, tiles. But I had yeah, technology knowledge tiles. Um, yeah. yeah, I had I had water castles, and and one other where I where yeah I had I got, got the first. first. Might have been mines. Or, it yeah. was mine. So it yeah, was you're mine. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just three firsts and and one second, and still and a tile that your one knowledge tile that let you give those two extra points, two per, extra points per thing that you completed per victory first or point second. tile you got. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's it's, and it's also one of those games because it's dice related. Quite often you're like rolling the dice and like ah, oh. <laughs> you're cursing the dice, mm-hmm. which is you know it's nice that. They have a way of mitigating the dice because that's what the workers are for, and that's what all these various knowledge slash technology tiles are for, mitigating those die rolls. Yeah, and, and as much as it's, you know, the the your fate is dictated by the dice. It's it's also not. Yeah. Um. You know, like when we get to talking about uh, Oren Labora, um, you know, you're 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 never without an option. Yeah. It may not be the best option that you have. And, you know, I felt the same thing with, with Castles of Burgundy. I mean, you know, yeah, you might not get the, the perfect role, but, but you know, it's about you're, you're never you without with it. a thing yeah. to do with it. Yeah, there's so, always something you can do. Like, yeah. even if you – it was each of these phases, there's five phases per – or five rounds per phase. By the end of the each round, like, the tile selection on the board is really thin. Like, it, they, mm-hmm. they go quick. Yeah. And if you have money, then you're able to buy from the center as well. Um, but again, it just um, your, your options start to get low. But then you always have the t- you can always ship a good with a die, and you, if, as long as you have the the appropriate good with the number on it, or you can get more workers, which mm-hmm. are good for which mitigating then, the dice. Yeah, mitigates the next turn. Yeah. So. so there's always something you can do with your dice, you know, even if it's not optimal at that particular time. Yeah, and, and the workers, you know, like if if you don't use them in in one uh, one phase, I mean, they you know it carries over. So I mean, yeah. Um, and then even if you don't you don't use them at the end of the game you you know they're for two workers it's worth a victory point so yeah you, they're always worth victory points if you hold on to them so yep. same with the silver and like there's only one thing you can do with the silver is buying from the center there mm-hmm. is um, a, a knowledge slash technology if it comes out which lets you buy from the um, the areas you can normally only get uh, from, with dice mm-hmm. but um, yeah so th- there's always um, yeah it's it's good that way. And and to te- speak of the popularity of the game, uh, twenty seven thousand ratings is huge. Quite often, when we're talking about games, you know, it's usually a few thousand, you know, even up to eight thousand ratings um, for a particular game. So a game like this, twenty seven thousand is it, that it sort of shows like 
there's a lot of people who've been playing this game for years. You know, it's a six-year-old game, but, uh, t- you know, it, it's still popular. I know people still pull it out at, at the, um, the meetups I sometimes go to. Uh, I've played one, you know, recently that way, and then we played it three times now. Like, it was there, both Jeff and Drew's first time playing the game was this when we just started playing it this last week or so. But, um, yeah, it uh, you can see why it's a, it, it's still a popular game. It, it, it gives you a lot of options. It's... Um, it's a Euro that um, adds randomness to it because random tiles are coming out each turn. You got the randomness of the dice. Um, so even if you're just using the base game and not getting any of the little mini expansions, I have one little mini expansion in here which just adds a few, t- few uh, tiles to it, but nothing huge. Um, even just using the base game with the boards that come with it, you know, you got a lot of options. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot you can you can you got a replay value out of this. And well for Euro two, turn order isn't as important as a lot of them make it. Like yeah. you can I, well, for our second playthrough I w- I think I was last all but one or maybe two turns. I was always going last. And yeah. I still ended up in first place by the end in points. And it's just because you're worrying about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that your dice yep. rolls dictate so much. So yeah. it's the how you use your dice rolls that matters, not whether you're first or last. And I mean, going first is definitely you get you your get first more picks on the board. But if yeah. you're not rolling the dice to get something that someone else wants, you, you're not yeah. getting in their way. So no, true. And um, yeah, in this last game that we played just before recording, I was last the whole time, um, and. And there were times where I could feel it, where I was like, oh, I really hope that tile I want is still there by the time it's my turn. Most of the time, though, you know, it wasn't too hard to figure, you know, figure mm-hmm. something out, even if that tile I, I wanted was gone. So, and it still worked out for me. I came in second, but didn't win. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the other thing I think that that's great about this game is um, when, when you look at the weight of it, um, you know, it's, you know, for a euro that's been put out by S- Stefan Felt. I mean, it's it's so accessible. Yeah, that I think that that has a lot to do with its popularity. That, absolutely, and if you look in the back of the box, um, it being an Aaliyah game, they have like a little area here that tells you uh, play time, you know, number of players and all that, and level of difficulty. Uh, play time is thirty to ninety minutes. Where we played two three hour um, two three player games, each one was about two hours each. Yeah, so thirty to ninety is a bit off. Um, like. Uh, maybe a two-player game. <laughs> I can see ninety. I, I can't see it ever being thirty. No, I'd barely be need to be getting like the perfect rolls and not interfering with each other for it to and be just, thirty. Yeah, minutes. going snap, snap, snap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, no, that'd be impossible. So, and they say it's about a little over a medium weight, um, according to their little level meter on the game board. Which I, I, I think that's a, yeah, I think yeah. that's probably accurate. That's about accurate. Play time, not so much. Yeah, level pretty pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a definitely a good game, um, and we'll see right away here how it stacks up against Aura et Labora. So Aura et Labora, it like I said in the English version came out in January of 2012, uh, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, who's another one of the huge hitters in, in games. Um, I don't think this is a complete listing of him, but you know some of his most popular games are ones like Bonanza, um, Agricola, Lahav. At the Gates of Lo- Loyang. Um, more recently, Caverna. Um, and especially um, a game like 
Feast for Odin, which has um, been getting a, you know a lot of play in the last uh, couple of years or last year or so because it's from 2016. So he's another big hitter when it comes to um, to uh, Euros. Uh, but I think I would say, except for maybe a few of his games like Patchwork, most of his games tend to be on the heavier side, like fairly heavy. Um, artist for uh, for Labora, Clemens Franz, another big name in artists. He's done quite a bit and. I th- Quite a bit with Uve, but also other games as well. Publishers, Lookout Games, 999 Games, Z-Man, Z-Man Games, which no longer exists, but at the uh, time this game came out, it was still around. Mechanisms, Modular Board, Pattern Building, Set Collection, Tile Placement, and Worker Placement. Uh, BGG Rating, 7.8 out of 7.8 thousand uh, ratings. So another fairly well-rated game. But again, not as many as... Uh, as Castles of Burgundy, but not, that doesn't knock it anything. Um, now, <laughs> this is a good, this is the, the the big one when it comes to game discussions, like for rules and and everything. Rulebook. There are three different rule books that come with this game. There's a book dedicated to describing every building. Um, there's a book of detailed rules, so going through all the different order turn orders and everything and describing it in detail. There's a simplified version of that, um, which is a little bit smaller and, and breaks down the rules a little bit quicker, um, which at least gets you a bit more of a feel for the game before you uh, jump into it. And then there's also um, a separate sheet just for setting up the game, just a single double-sided sheet for setup. Um, and then there's various player references um, for the game. Uh, one thing I should mention, this game has two, basically two versions. Um, every card is double-sided, so there's a Irish version of the game and a French version. And depending on which version you're playing, uh, certain resources may or may not be available during that version. Um, Jeff and I have played both the, the Irish and the French. Jews only had a chance to play the French. Um, components, uh, again, fairly... Um, Fairly typical components, again, for a Euro game. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg really likes his uh, resource chits, so there's a ton of resources, and every one is double-sided. Um, quite often, the du- um, sometimes the double side might be an upgraded version of a resource, but also quite often the other side of the ch- a resource could be um, a victory point thing, like uh, pottery, or you know, on the opposite side of clay is pottery, opposite side of stone is jewelry, that kind of thing. Or, or maybe it's like um, statues, it's hard to tell, but it looks like jewelry. Uh, but every resource is double-sided, and the only time you flip a resource is usually if you have a building that lets you flip it. Um, there's one resource, which is wheat, which can you can automatically flip over to hay. Uh, some resources act as food, some will act as energy, which will come into play during the game. But a lot of chits. Um, other than the chits, everybody has their own little tableau playing area. Um, and there's um, a resource wheel. They use a, a rondo. Is that what they call it? Rondelle. They use a rondelle um, style resource wheel. So it um, has it's a segmented thing where it has different sections and a little pointer that'll point that'll get churned throughout the game. Uh, and there's there are some tokens. There's some um, tokens for representing resources that sit on the wheel, wood tokens. 
And other than that, um, there's additional, then you have your main player board. There's additional little player boards you can add onto your main board to increase your play area. And um, yeah, that's about it. There's cards and the tableau and the wheel and the chits. So that's about it. Um, the playing area, the little tableau playing boards are thinner cardboard again. They don't need to be thicker because they're just sitting there and you're adding stuff onto them. The cards are um, a standard quality, nothing special on them. You know, like they don't really compare to the newer games nowadays, which, you know, the linen finishes or anything. But not saying that they're bad or anything because they don't really get shuffled. That's one thing about this game. Um, other than choosing if you're playing Irish or French, uh, nothing is variable really in this game. Um, everything will come out in time. So uh, as I go through the, the rules and how the game plays, um, I'll describe when cards come out. But um, that's the one thing about this game is no real variability in how things come out. How you play the game and your strategies is what's going to change as every time you play it. But that's about it. Um, so yeah, now I'm going to do a brief breakdown of these rules because it's an easy game to play, but there's a lot to it. Just like half the games we talk about. <laughs> it's always, always, you know what? I call them easy. I say, oh, this is an easy game. But when you have to sit down and try to teach someone, it, it can be a bit tough. Um, they say it's a, it's a one to four player game ranging from two to three hours. Um, not too far off. Both, every time we've played it, it's been um, three player games. And it's always been closer to the three-hour mark, maybe even four. Taking into consideration that new people each time, too. Yeah. Because um, the first time it first was, time was all my son of us and I. New. Yeah, and I, it was my, I was my first time, too. And then the second time we played it was with Drew, and Drew was new to it. Yeah. So it, there was always someone new to it each time. So it, it does add to the length. Um, I think this game, more than Castles of Burgundy, is prone to action paralysis, AP. Just because um, there's so many things to consider during your turn of what Definitely. you want to do. <laughs> uh, so the, how the game plays out. Like, as I mentioned, there's a rondelle. So all the goods are going to go on a starting spot on the rondelle. And then um, during a, a player's turn, uh, during a, the, the sequence of events for a turn, um, everybody has three workers. And I should probably give you the over... I didn't even mention this in, or, um, in Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy, you're kind of a duke and you're building up your, your lands. In this game, you're monks and, and you're building up your, your um, the, the areas around your monastery. So the, the main player board has, a, has some pre-printed buildings on it. Uh, one's a cloister building, uh, one's a clay mound, and one's a farm. And then the rest of the areas, there's um, some that are covered by forest cards, and there's a couple that are covered by moor cards, moors. And then there's a couple of free cards, um, free spaces that haven't been covered yet. So during your turn, you are um, you have three workers, three clergymen. Uh, one's a little different. He's the prior. So you've got two regular guys and the prior, and he has like a little hat or something. Um, so you have those three workers. Determining who the first player is, the first player will always get a second action during the round. So everybody gets one action each round, and the starting player gets a second action at the end of the round. So what happens is each player in turn order will use one of their guys, 
or do something else. The different actions you can do are uh, place one of your clergymen onto a building you have, one of, either one of the three starting buildings or one that you build eventually. You can buy, uh, build a building that's available in the center of the table. And so each round there's, um, well, I shouldn't say each round. Uh, at the start of the game, there'll be a number of buildings laid out in the center that are available to be purchased. Um, every building requires resources of some type to be purchased and then uh, and put onto your, onto your tableau. Most buildings um, can be built almost anywhere. Um, there's four or five different types of lands. Your main board will have what are called planes. And your clay mound is sort of on one that's called a hills area, but it's sort of already there, so you don't have to worry about it. The boards that you can add on to your tableau um, will either give you more planes, they can give you more hills, they can give you a coastal area, water, and also a mountain area. And so each card will say, you know, where it can be built. The majority of the cards can be built on plains, hills, and coast. There's, I think, one card in the Irish that can be built in water. And there's, I think, one card in both that has, or no, there's the gravel pit, which can be built in the, uh, in the, uh, the mountains. Um, and then there's also, I think, a castle that can be built in the mountains, but it can also be built in the hills. So the majority of the cards are, are built on the, the main areas, but then there's a few cards that can be built in those other areas. Uh, starting the game, almost all the cards, um, with the exception of the houseboat, if it's available, are built in those three main areas. Um, there's also um, the different resources in the game. There's uh, wheat, sheep, clay, wood, uh, coins, which are sort of a resource, but they're something that's on the rondelle as a resource as well. Uh, there's a, a joker, which can represent any resource. There's stone, which doesn't come on the rondelle right away. So it, there's a little place that you sort of put the stone beside the rondelle. So, you know, when you pass it, then the stone comes onto the board. And if you're playing the French version, there's also grapes, which don't start on the board right away either. They'll come on eventually. Um, the player turn, how the player turn order goes at the start of the player, everyone at the start of the round, if all of your workers are placed on the board, your board, you can pick them up and have them ready for that turn. Otherwise, if you have workers available, you don't pick anybody up. Then the rondelle um, pointer will move one space. And what that does is wherever a good is on the rondelle, there'll be a corresponding number on that pointer as it's turning letting you know what that good is worth. So at the start of the game, all goods that are on the rondelle are starting at value two. As you place workers on your board, like if you place uh, a worker in the clay mine, you'll get two clay, and then the clay will move from the two spot on the rondelle to the zero spot, meaning that in the future, if somebody else wants to get clay, there's none available other than the joker. So the joker, as I said, can represent any good, so wherever the joker is on the rondelle will be how many of that good you'll get. And then the joker will move to the zero. So there's a little bit of way of mitigating some of your resources. There are buildings you can build, which will give you resources as well sometimes without having to use the rondelle. Um, typically you're trading for something to get that resource. Um, like at the very beginning of the game, uh, stone isn't available for, available for quite some time. I think it's not until 
you have to go around. You have to go around time. the hole once, which is I think <coughs> twelve um, twelve turns before the stone's even available, and then stone jumps on. So there are some starting buildings that require stone to be built. Um, there is one building at the very beginning of the game that lets you trade. I think it's food and energy to make stone. Um, I think it's I think it's to represent you picking up stones off of your land to clear it or whatever. Um, other things you can do on your turn. So you can use a worker. You can build a building. You can clear land. As I mentioned, some of your tiles, um, some of the spaces on your board are going to be covered by forest tiles or forest cards, not tiles, forest cards and more cards. And that's the other resource. It's uh, peat. There's one other resource called peat I didn't mention before. So if you want to clear land, you don't have to use a worker, but you just say, I'm clearing land. You choose one of those spaces, take the card off of that space, and you'll get resources, either wood or peat, equal to wherever they are on the rondelle. Um, and that goes, goes right into your supply. Um, a, a lot of Uwe Rosenberg's games have food in them. Uh, quite often it's to feed your workers. This game doesn't have that, which can be uh, a relief to some people who can find that frustrating, <laughs> especially people who like Agricola or Lahav, where you're always having to worry about feeding your workers. Uh, food in, in this game is instead used um, for different things. It could be used for sometimes for building, um, at the end of there's certain parts parts on the rondelle where you have a special thing called a settlement phase and so when you get to that point on the rondelle um, there's a little house that represents each phase and there's four different settlement phases with one final phase at the very end of the game where you are building these special settlement cards and everybody starts with the same settlement cards at first and you have four of them um, some will be like one could be like a um I think it's like a sort of like the poor area of town. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like shanty the town. Shanty town. That's it. Shanty town, where it's not worth a lot of points in the end of the game, but all these settlement cards gain points based on what they're next to. So every building has two different numbers on it. One will be a victory point number, which you know it'll give you those victory points at the end of the game, and one is a neighbor number. And based on these settlement cards you build, every time whatever cards are next to that settlement card will add to its value usually. So the shanty town, while being one that's you know worth negative points, um, it can be boosted if you have to build it by the neighbors it has around it. Um, but there, you get four different cards, so the shanty is the easiest to build. Um, so sometimes you might have to build it just because you don't have enough resources to build one of the others. But then, you know, there's a few others that increase in value as well. And one of them is like a harbor town, harbor area that is worth a lot of points and its neighboring value is fairly high. And if you can get a lot of good cards around it, you'll get even more points. But that's that's sort of the strategic thing with this game is knowing where to build those settlements and how to surround them to get to optimize your points for the end of the game. So there's five different settlement phases. Uh, the fifth one being the very end of the game. So once everybody's once you've gone around the rondelle twice and you get to the final thing, everybody gets their, their prior back. It's the, uh, and they can use them on any building. Um, but then you also get a final settlement. So at the, very, at the very, very end, you get to build one more settlement before you finish. Um, but other than that, um, as you're building buildings, whenever you build a building on your, ta on your tableau, if your prior is available, 
and he hasn't been used anywhere yet, you can take him and place it on that building right away to use it to get its advantages. Your other clergymen can't do this, just your prior. Um, so you'll, you'll put them down, you'll, you'll get whatever bonus the build, building gives you, and then the next person will take their turn. Now, if somebody builds a building that you really want to use, you can pay them to use their building. You never move one of your workers over to his building. What you do is you pay him one gold and say, I want to use that building. If he has, he has to have workers available to do it. He'll take one of his available workers, put it on that building, take your gold, and then you'll get the benefit of that building based on however you're set up. Um, alternately, in the Irish version, you can give them a barrel of whiskey, or not give them, you can expend a barrel of whiskey, so it goes back to the supply, and mm -hmm. he still has to put his worker, or he or she still has to put their worker on their building, but they don't get anything for it. Basically, you're giving them a gift of alcohol, and they're drinking it right away. That's what they call it. In the French version, it's wine. So whiskey or wine. Um, that's an alternate way of using someone else's building without having to pay them the gold. Uh, the thing being, those... Um, uh, tokens can be quite valuable. Uh, wine, not as much, but each one counts as food or also count as victory points or, or coins at the end of the game or whenever you need them. Uh, the whiskey, I think, is, counts as more food. I guess it's the way it's built. I don't know how you how you brew it, but um, it counts as more food than wine. Um, and maybe even, a, I think it's worth, two, it's victory worth points. two victory points. Yeah, two victory points instead of one. So you're giving that up in order to use someone else's building without having to pay that work that person. Um, things you can do for free, you can always change five coins into, um, take five singles into a, a five point coin, which gives you, makes it worth, because single coins are only worth money and they also count it, they can be used as food as well. A five, um, still, still worth five coins and five, um, uh, five food, but they're also worth a couple of victory points if you do that conversion. And as, um, wheat can be automatically turned into hay. Wheat is normally um, used as one food. It can be used as one food. When you turn it into hay for free, it goes from being used as food to being used as fuel, half a fuel. And so the various things like sheep, and, and when you turn sheep over, they become steaks. They all become, they all have, um, there's quite a few things that are either fuel or food, which are used for mainly building those settlements but also building some um, basic buildings as well, but mainly settlements. Um, so yeah, you go around the, the board until you've gone around a couple times, buying buildings, using buildings, using your workers, getting them back. Um, there are various things like stone, clay, um, even um, the one-point tokens, uh, one-point coins, I should say, and... Um, was one other thing that turns into a reliquary. I can't remember what it was. What turns into the reliquary? Was it wood? No. Mm -mm. Wood changed into <coughs> the whiskey barrel. Oh, right. Wood changed into whiskey. Clay? No, no clay, clay was pottery. pottery. It was pottery. I can't remember. Yeah, one of the things. Stone turned into the ornamental yeah. thing. Or stone was ornamental. Um... Not sheep, not that. We'll just have to open it up. Nah. You know what? It, it, it's not <coughs> as important, but there's four different types of um, victory point goods, um, being book, um, 
uh, pottery, uh, stonework, and the reliquary that are just worth victory points. So at the back of the five gold. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. yeah, the five gold turns into the reliquary. That's right. Um, so those are the, there's four different things that can turn into victory point goods. So by themselves, you know, I think one's worth two, one's worth three, one's worth four, and, and I think the last one's worth eight, or yep. five or an eight or something like that. Uh, there is, at some point, buildings that will come out that will allow you to trade in either one of every good to get these special wonders. They're like uh, stained glass windows. So it'll take it where normally those all together would be 17 points approximately. Make them so that they're worth 30 points. And there's another building out there that allows you to take a, a number of different ones that are worth so many points, regardless of what they are, and turn them into this wonder. I believe that one was only in the Irish. That version. might have only been in the Irish version. Yeah, yeah, we didn't see it in the French. But uh, so that's something else you can do uh, eventually. Uh, that's usually later game when you get to the ability to do that. Um, but yeah, other than that, that's that's essentially how the game plays. You go around the the wheel twice. You got you got five different settlement phases. The very last one being um, just a, a extra build you get to do. Then you'll calculate your, your victory points, and it's quite complicated to calculate your victory points because you, you have to have little notepads and write everything down. Every settlement, based on what's around it, will be worth so many points. Every building, including the settlements, will also be worth so many points. You have to add all that together. And then um, any goods you have left over at the end of the game that have victory point numbers on them will also get added. So you'll add everything together, and then at the end of the game, whoever's the highest wins. And that's yeah, that's how you play the game. Yeah, so this is this is this is definitely one of those ones where you have no clue how anybody's doing until the very end, which is a definite benefit in I think, it can in this be. game. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it makes you focus on what do I need to do, not what do I need to do to stop this person right. from advancing. Because you don't know. I mean, you can get a rough estimate based off of where they've placed their settlements yep. or things like that, but you're not going to know final placing until that no no because you would actually have to look at somebody's you know setup see what he's built for settlements start calculating points in your head can change drastically and it can totally change yeah because he'll place a building in one that could be next to two different settlements and all of a sudden he's got more points you know tons of tons more points so you're too busy worrying about yourself (laughs) well i suspect with with uve rosenberg's games if you knew that you weren't winning or weren't even close you wouldn't you wouldn't enjoy it no like the yeah. remainder of the process no. you just wouldn't enjoy yeah you'd get too hung up on you know being yeah where, you know you have to concentrate on what you're doing and, yeah and, and and just play the game and you know and it's definitely a heavier game you know there's no doubt about mm-hmm. it and um but it's a fun game you know i, I definitely like it and, and it's uh, quite often with a lot of his games um they're heavy um they're they're brain burning but they're fun um well, the good thing is with with this one is it, it's nowhere near as heavy as Agricola. No, true. You know, it's it yeah. has it hasn't been nicknamed Misery, Misery Farm, Farm. <laughs> by, by certain <laughs> no. people. No, so definitely not. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's not a not a Misery Farm or a Misery Monastery or anything like that. Um, the, you know, one of the downsides is that there's no. Not a lot of vari- there's no variability to the game. So once you played through, uh, you know, well, I guess once, other than the you've seen, Irish versus, well, that's French, it. That's what but... I'm saying. Like once you played through either Irish or French once, you you know what's going to come out. 
Uh, the only difference in being the number of players, you'll take out cards based on the number of players. So like we've only ever played a three player. So there are four player cards that yeah, might, who knows how much it would change. How, it wouldn't really change too much. It, you know, maybe see ability you've never seen before, but that's about it. Um, again, only one person can ever build a particular building. Uh, there's not many duplicates. There's a couple, like we saw the, um, uh, the gravel pit. There was a couple of those in the French version. There may have only been one in the Irish There's, version. Though. Yeah, you mean the quarry, right? Where you get the stone. The quarry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was two of those in the French. Whereas there's only one. There in the... But but the silly thing about that is you really didn't need more than one quarry. No, like that. By the time you get the quarry, you've pretty much exhausted what you need for your stone for the most part. And one person gets the stone, and that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. You and having the the Joker out there that, you know, if if you need a particular good, you can you know, and it's not available, you can use the Joker. It gets used <laughs> yeah. frequently. It, it's not yeah, just it, sitting around. Yeah, and... it's not sitting around. It's getting used. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's also various buildings which lets you use the Joker in place of almost some other things too. They have a lot of interesting buildings. That's a lot. You know, there's a lot of different buildings that you can use to get different benefits. Where you're and you're trying to chain things, so like you're trying to get resources so you can use them on another building kind of thing well i think that's actually almost a mistake you're not really trying to chain things if it if it not, comes not up, a chain as in like in castle burgundy where i can place this tile and this tile and this tile yeah in turn it's more like you're setting yourself up for future turns each turn you're like okay i need to do this this and this the one thing i think oh. we failed to do as a group in this game is more aggressively use other people's buildings mm-hmm. so if you can get something that gives you the resources or in turn takes a resource and manufactures it into something we weren't aggressively going after other people's buildings to gain that benefit and i I think that's more the point of this game because they only give Mm -hmm. you the one type of most buildings i think the quarry is the only building that there's two of in the french version where every other building there's only one version that's right of it and you have to know when to use someone else's building to get either production of something yep. or to gather up a resource of some sort and that's how you chain it together it's not overly important to have a sequence no no on yourself i think most of the time i was just focusing purely on where i put my settlements and getting enough resources to build the settlement i wanted and putting it where i wanted and then finding a building that complemented it so that you're getting a huge boost to points from your settlement phase of scoring instead of worrying about like ornaments and stuff like that yeah no true um i think too it wasn't in my case i i wasn't just looking at the placement although that was pretty important but um you know sort of planning ahead for that building phase and making sure that you could produce enough resources to actually produce it, like to, to yeah. build that, to build the was, better building, yeah, yeah, it was huge. Have the right food and energy requirements yeah. for yeah. it, yeah. Because there's every every phase, like once you hit a building phase, you have to build a settlement. Then you'll get some more settlement cards. And I didn't mention before, after each settlement phase, new cards do get added to the table that can be purchased, like built by everybody. So that's how more cards come. So at the beginning of the games, there's so many cards out that could be built. Then each settlement phase, more cards will get added that can be built and that's where it adds new things like the quarry or mm-hmm. some of the higher end board um, game um, buildings uh, one thing I did also mention um, cloister buildings so some of the buildings are cloister style buildings 
which have this um, yellow banner on them, they have to be built next to each other. So as you're designing your tableau, you have to, you know, if you want to build a cloister building, it has to be next to another one. So you, if you're not paying attention, you might screw yourself up and not be able to place a cloister building because you've used up all the spaces around your existing cloister. Well, each one of the buildings has, um, I don't want to call it a requirement, but it, yeah. it has a specific type of um, land that it can be built on yep. or next to. A couple of them have, you know, more than one sort of, you know, plains and hills. Yep. Yep. Um, but the cloisters are just like an, yep. an added one just for cloisters that has to be next to another cloister. And one thing I also didn't mention is during your turn at any point, you can use money to buy add-ons to your tableau. Mm-hmm. There's um, what they call... Um, Plots and uh, divisions. Uh, I think the divisions are the long, they're like this long, narrow one that goes above or below your tableau board. And then the plots are the um, little, bit, little bit smaller, uh, wider one that on one side will give you coast and water. On the other side will give you hills and um, mountains. And they can be placed uh, next to your board. But they have to, and they can be offset, whereas the one below and above can't be offset. It has to always be you know directly below and directly above but not offset at all the other ones can be offset so you're playing around a bit with your tableau space as you're as you're expanding because you you know you can only do so much with your initial player board so that can be that can add a lot to it too is um each one's double-sided uh so um when you're placing the one that's above or below you have a choice of either more hills and all your planes are covered with all your trees are covered and with trees and bog, which you have to uh, to clear. Or you can flip it over, and then the other side has like one hills, but then there's only like one trees that has to be cleared and a bunch of empty plane spaces. So it depends. You have to really decide, okay, how much clearing do I want to do to build? Especially because later you start to get into buildings that require hillside, and there's some pretty decent yeah. high-scoring point buildings that need to be in hillside. Yeah. And you want to get those early, but still know what you're doing late because the cost of them goes up as land yep. is bought up. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. This is it, it's pretty typical, I think, of Uwe Rosenberg that you know you you know it's it's uh, five turns from now. I I need to be able to build this yeah. thing. Well, <laughs> the prerequisite for building it is having this land. So I have to purchase land. Then I have to make sure it's cleared, and I have to be able to mm-hmm. afford the resources to get the land in the first place, and then the building. Yeah. So you, you know there is a, a bit of, um, you know, planning in depth that way. Yep. So and I think yeah, that's, that's quite, where the the that's, additional weight comes from. I yeah, think. and that's quite typical for his build his his games where you're. Where quite a few of them in the earlier games, it was more about planning for having the right amount of food, whereas this one, it's, it's yeah, at least food, yeah. but it's more about... In this one, you're not worrying about you're starving your people while you're using them because you didn't, like, yeah. hit the farm up this yeah. turn or something, yeah. right? It's more about just, yeah, getting the right resources, mostly to build those settlements because um, as they go further and further into the game, they get better and better, but they need more and more. Like, you need, like, 30 um, food or, or 30... Fuel, so no, it's mostly 30, 30 food, food, food for the last one, yeah. But then like nine fuel or something, so mm-hmm. you have to like really um, increase your uh, your your production in, in some way or other. But it does also, I mean, it's heavier in your aspect of planning, mm-hmm. but it takes away that random element. There's no dice rolling, 
there's just yeah, no dice if a building disappears beforehand before your turn you know to reassess it's not based off of what you do it's just or what you roll sorry it's just what you can do that's optimal on any given turn yeah yeah, yeah. so it seems like it's always in your control yeah. over what's happening rather than oh shit i rolled double twos when i rolled double twos last turn you know <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah you're not you're not the, the dice aren't messing you up it's just more of who's getting what you want before you get it yeah kind of thing. and well yeah. and it's, it doesn't even disappear because you, there's you been have the times where yeah. i think the first time we played in the irish version i built the quarry there's yeah. only one quarry but i built it and my, i didn't have my uh prior to place on it right away to get the stone so before i got to use my quarry someone Someone, used whiskey. I think that was me. Yeah, I think, I think was, it I was just, you. I jumped on and used my quarry. quarry before I could use it. And then I never had the opportunity to use my quarry effectively. So, yeah. well, I bought it thinking I was going to get stone from it. Someone else used Jumped in it. and used it and got stone. Like, yeah. So it, even if someone builds a building that's like, oh, crap, I needed that building, you can still use that building. It's not gone from no. you. No, that's right. There, there, There's ways to use those buildings. Yeah. And uh, that's, again, another typical thing of his. So... Um, Lahav, which is also one of my favorite games uh, of his, um, has a has an ability to use other people's buildings. So he, it's something he's, and I, I'm not sure about Agricola. It's been some time since I played that one. I don't know if there's a, a mechanism for using other people's things. I don't think there is. I don't in that think one. so. So that was that was something he introduced later on. Um, but yeah, his whole thing with resources and you know double siding them and. And having food in, uh, involved in some way is very much um, one of his styles. Um, but and no, and it's, uh, this is an excellent game. It's and the time goes by fast. It's a three to four hour game, but you're not really noticing it. Well, it's because it's, it's broken up into those chunks, right? Where you're Little planning chunks, for this yeah. set next settlement phase, and then you count how many turns you need for the next settlement phase, and then plan again. And, and the turns, you know, other than sometimes there being a little bit of AP. Um, the turns go fairly quickly because everybody's getting one action on a turn except for the star player who'll get a second action. So it goes pretty quick. And I think the action paralysis more comes in when your original concept of what you're going to do on your turn, yeah. the option disappears. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to find the next best. Like you're planning next best for thing you can do. best, yeah. it disappears. Then it's okay, what's next best? So you do have to rethink. And it's understandable that if someone just before you takes a building that you were planning yeah. to build that you're going to have to take a little bit longer for that turn mm -hmm. but i mean most of the time you're gonna see like oh this there's clay is at like six or seven reward if i pick it right now you know just mm -hmm. take it because having the resource at that amount for one action is gonna set you up for the rest of the game almost yeah quite depending often. on how yep. you spend it so in that regard usually you can see the optimal thing quick enough it's when there's two that are it's like okay <laughs> which how do i What's weigh this better is, reward yeah for my yeah <laughs> better bang for my buck exactly well that's my advice for the game is if if you really want to maximize your you know your your time playing it is be the one with the ap yeah <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah. well you, know, you won't you won't have a lot of friends <laughs> but you know uh, to be fair too like yeah you had a lot of ap but it was your first, the only time playing the game we didn't get a chance to do a second playing yeah. through with you um so i'm sure your ap would have been cut down a bit once a you bit. know a yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> once you know what you're doing um but yeah i i think we've talked that one out um so now the difficult decision of determining what do we like 
better. <laughs> Castles of Burgundy or Aura et Labora? Very difficult. Yeah, oh, this is I the think... toughest one we've done. Yeah. It is. It is so hard because they're both such good games. Yeah, they're both really good. And and for me, it's like two mechanics that, and I'm not going to say this like they're negative, but there's yeah. the randomness of Castles of Burgundy, mm-hmm. and there's the action paralysis of Borat Labora. That it's like it's just the different way they play, but they're both mechanics that are important to that aspect of it. Like you mm-hmm. have total control in Aura at Labora, and then you have that randomness that you have to make the best of that you can mitigate with how you play your dice yeah. in Castles of Burgundy. And it's like, which one's slightly worse? Mm-hmm. Or which one's slightly <laughs> better? Like it, it's, it's like, it's like picking hairs out, you know? Um, yeah, no, it's definitely, it is such a hard, it is a hard choice. Um, I love both these, these designers. And you know they're both they're both excellent games. Yeah, and I think that that makes it even harder is yeah. is knowing that one Steffenfeld, the other one's Uwe Rosenberg. They both produce amazing games. Yeah, and they're yeah. I I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of on the fence with this one. I think I know my choice. Yeah, I'm, even with that, I'm going to go. Uh, I'll start off. Uh, I'm going to go with the one I find is the most accessible. And that's Castles of Burgundy. Is I don't know. It's the one I think. Well, it's definitely the one I'm going to get on the table more often because it, there's a shorter playthrough. But you know, it, it you know having the variability in there. You know, even you know rolling the dice is always nice, and you know you can always mitigate what you roll with fairly easily. And there's so many options for your for your turn. Like uh, you can, you know, it's one of those games where. Yeah, you can screw someone over by taking a tile that they wanted. Half the time it's by accident, you know, because you're not as much thinking, oh, this could... Sometimes you are. Sometimes you're thinking, oh, Drew's collecting chickens. There's some chickens out there. Especially if it's a four chicken. If it's a four chicken. (laughs) I'm going to get that four chicken, but Drew can get that four chicken. But, I mean, you're still giving yourself four points. Yeah, you're giving yourself four chickens, and hopefully you're not screwing yourself up by taking four chickens and then adding them to sheep and not maximizing your points that way. But I don't know. I, I think for me, it's it's going to be Castles of Burgundy. It, it's a tough choice, but I'm going with Castles. And for me, I'm picking Castles as well. Because, yeah. well, typically I'll rail against randomness. Like, I don't yeah. like the variable, your turn being dictated by the roll of two dice. Mm-hmm. I believe that there is enough mitigation in this game that that isn't as big of an issue. Whether it's mitigated through you spending a turn getting workers or building technology that allows you to change your dice easier stuff like that i right. think there's enough mitigation that it just it doesn't feel as random as you first expect it mm. to be no and because you're playing your own tableau you're not worried about whether you can set a cloister building next to a cloister building or anything like that it's completely about where you start and expanding out from it and planning mm-hmm. it that way. And no one else can really screw with that where you can with or at Labora. But if I was with a little, like a heavier group that is really into the games, I think I would pull out or at Labora sure. first, but for yep. overall I'd say castles of Burgundy. I don't know. I'm just going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be the, the uh, jumping on the bandwagon. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to pick or at Labora. Okay, that's fair. Um, 
You just I, like I wasting it, our time with your AP. <laughs> well, don't I mean? Don't get me wrong. That's hilarious when I do it. <laughs> but it's all um, good fun. I yeah, I, I think it. You know it. There, there's some randomness in how the cards come out, um, but beyond that, it's it's your planning. You know, it's yeah. it's your strategy to, um, you know, you know, plan as far ahead as you can possibly plan. Um, you know, adjust to developing situations as other people take, you know, certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking for those those opportunities, like you say, to use somebody else's buildings. Um, it, 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 it almost comes down to, to straight strategy versus, versus any, you know, yeah, there is no luck. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. not luck at all. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think when it comes down to it, you make a mistake, you're that, you know, that's, what's going to cost you. You won't have any dice to blame it on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why and, I said, I think a, yeah. that yeah. one for a, a gaming yeah. group that is completely yeah. like they are, they know their tactics and strategy. Yeah. The, that game I think would be more fun with that group because they're yeah. you're not blaming luck. It is completely about your strategy and following through yeah. with it. Yeah, and both of these games I don't see um, adding. A, we play with three players with both games. I don't see adding extra players, adding too much to the playtime. Like or Labora, maybe a bit more so, but because everyone's only getting one turn each mm-hmm. round, um, unless you know, unless you get a whole you know, a table full of people who have total AP. You're not going to add too much more to the playtime, and same with castles. Uh, castles, um, you'll be adding some more cards and aura. Um, in castles, you get a bit more tiles on the board because um, there's variable t- um, there's numbers in the tiles, so you you add based on the number of players you're you're playing. So you you fill up the board with tiles, so you're not losing anything that way, and. So I think the the player turns go fairly quick enough in, in yeah, castles. Yeah, I think you would it slow down your first playthrough of each phase for castles. Yeah, and then as the things got pulled off, because they would get pulled off quicker, it would be about as fast by the yeah, end. About yeah. as fast. So wouldn't that both games you could add a fourth player in and and not be you know have it affect you too badly, which is a rare rarely a rarity in a lot of games because um, there are some games, especially by Uve. Uh, Lahav in particular, um, you, you have a. I think Lahav is one of those ones, and we'll we'll be eventually playing it, um, where it's best at two or three players. Adding a fourth player to that game, I think, would just mess it up too much. And and Drew and, and um, Jeff haven't played it, so they don't know what I'm talking about. But when they do, they'll they'll hopefully they'll see it. But um, this one adding a fourth player isn't det- detrimental to either game. No, I don't so, see it. Yeah. Well, and even with the. Uh... Or Labora, you would see different cards that would be you might get yeah like you get some new buildings cards. yeah that who knows how it would impact gameplay or strategy like just it yeah would, it might change things up enough that it would feel like a completely different game who knows yeah because the some of those buildings did some interesting yeah there were some interesting looking buildings in the four player yeah yeah so okay uh, there you go uh, our winner for this matchup is Castles of Burgundy uh, now we'll just have a, a quick. Um, Imperial Assault Talk, um, mostly just going over the blisters we, we didn't get a good look at in prior um, uh, news releases from uh, Fantasy Flight. So uh, that's what we're going to do next. Um, so yeah, uh, these things are now available in store. So obviously by the time you've heard this, you probably already know this if, if you follow Imperial Assault. But um, this is all now in store. So Heart of the Empire has come out. 
these three blisters have also come out, so they're all available to purchase. But they've given us the previews for Darth Maul, uh, Emperor Palpatine, and Asako Tano. Um, so we get a, a bit of a look at what they uh, what they give us. Unfortunately, it also didn't really add all that much information. Like we've talked about Palpatine. Yeah, we did talk about him a bit. Um, so yeah, we're not going to get a, have a lot to talk about here. Uh, let's see, because there was two articles that they showed. One was basically saying, "Hey, this is the everything's out," but there's one called "I Am No Jedi," which is more of the preview, I think. But again, I think it basically says the same kind of thing. Okay, there we go. So yeah, um, so yeah, each faction gets somebody. Uh, Mercs, uh, the Mercs get Darth Maul, or just Maul in this. He's a Force user, brawler. Um, only, only a surge. Well, actually, has two surge. Uh, his main surge is Pierce three. Uh, he adds plus one wound, twelve health, and four speed. He's a melee attack with a red yellow and black defense. He has dual bladed fury. Before you declare an attack, choose one. This attack gains reach and cleave two wounds, or you become focused. So that's um, that's quite good. You get a third dice, or you're automatically um, cleaving two. And his specific command card allows him to do both. Yeah, allows him to do both. For an attack. Is that a three-point card or two? I don't know. Okay, we'll see. Um, but then he also has a surge for stock. It's actually Craig. a one-point card. Oh, it's a one-point card. Even better, jeez. Um, he's seven points. Uh, he has a surge for stock prey, which is a special special surge. After this attack resolves, you gain two movement points and one wound token. And then he has a special thing called sustained by rage. You cannot recover wounds. If you have not resolved an activation this round, you cannot be defeated. So he's always going to get a go on every round. Uh, he's around. So even if he gets enough damage... You still at least get one more use out of him, which is good if he hasn't gone. So that's uh, that's pretty nice. He's he's a, he's definitely a good card. Um, I can't see anything that's really detrimental to him. Like he has good abilities. He doesn't have a lot of surges, but then and he is rolling a yellow die, which you're hoping for surges on. Um, he's a little weak, but a little weak that way. Well, he's a little weak health wise. 12 health in, for 7 points. In, in uh, today's game, it's still... T 12 health for 7 points is... It's dead in one hit with the right cards, right? Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean... But it, yeah, there are definitely... I mean, it, he, he does mitigate it in that he doesn't get defeated unless mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's already activated. Yeah. But, I don't know. Maybe... Well, maybe. The, the first it, force user they got too, isn't he? Um, they don't have another. Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the first force user that the Mercs, the Mercs got. have access to without a temporary alliance. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that he, also he, is detrimental because there's not, you're not going to stick a lot of force user cards in there. A lot of synergy, your, yeah. I mean, he's probably better off being taken by the Imperials with a temporary alliance card to put with Palpatine and Vader mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah, because the chances of you using a rebel force user in a temporary alliance with the uh, the mercs is pretty slim. Well, many... there's more of a chance now with Jawas taking 3PO and then you can have Jabba the Hutt to have the other focusing aspect. Then so... you could use your, your, your temporary alliance to grab 
I'm not saying it's Luke. feasible, <laughs> but you could take yeah. temporary alliance to grab Ahsoka. Yeah, and I guess we'll take a look at Ahsoka here soon. Um, Luke, still probably a few too many points to throw in with throw temporary, in alliance, temporary alliance. Yeah. But... Uh, next, we got Emperor Palpatine for the Imperials, Force user leader, inherent Pierce three, and then a surge for plus one wound. Um, eight cost, thirteen health, three speed, so he's kind of slow. Uh, not that he needs to be fast. Uh, melee, red green, black defense. Emperor, once during your activation, you may choose another figure within four spaces. That figure interrupts to perform an attack. That's a good ability. Uh, you know. mm-hmm. Although, three speed makes him yeah. pretty hard. makes it hard to get off because four Unless spaces. Unless you're turtling. Like, yeah. if you're turtling on a map, then sure. But yeah. That's true. If you're, if you're staying onto your, your side, then it, it's more powerful. Um, but then you could... Um, yeah, you can move him twice. And then make someone else attack. And then make someone else attack, which is, you know, can be, you know, a good um, strategic thing to do. Uh, tempt, at the start of your activation, a figure of your choice suffers a wound and gains plus one wound token. So you're kind of hurting somebody to give them a token. Um, and it's a figure of your choice. So, you know, it could be one of your own, one of, you know, one of the enemies. Well, why, you know, I guess that one token... If you can potentially take somebody out with that one wound, then you're not so worried about um, giving them the token. It's that, yeah, if you can kill them, then... Then it's sort of, it's like a way to do a wound to somebody and potentially give them a token, but if if it kills them right away, it won't matter. Uh, Force Lightning, I think it's going to be more to use on your own guys. You're you're like, yeah, "Yeah, you do this, and here's a token. Uh, Force Lightning, it's an action. Um, choose a figure within four spaces and lines of sight. That figure suffers three wounds and becomes weakened. Each figure adjacent to that figure suffers a wound. So that's almost like a little blast radius yeah, kind of thing. A bit of a grenade. Yeah, a bit of a grenade. Again, he's slow, so you're either double moving. It's an action, though, so you can't even double move him. So no. you've got to hope you can get him into a spot where you can use it in that four range. He, bring an Imperial officer and have him somebody, order Palpatine. Yeah, yeah, bring yeah which is officer and have him move odd, <laughs> but... Well, it's more of a request, sir. Yeah. <laughs> sir, could you please go over there and force lightning them? <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> um, but he, he's got enough health to he does. take... Again, 13 health. 13 it, health for 8 cost, 12 health for 7 cost. It, it, it's not a great cost comparison, but if you're not fighting... A hunter smuggler hunter group, group yeah. he, he can probably make it up and do it if he has to and yeah. if he's up there he's making someone else attack at the same time so i mean he's a decent he's something that the empire has been lacking is a decent support character like they, they've had attempts at other support characters that people have used yeah. on and off but nothing that really is purely just there to make everyone else around him better what i kind of find disappointing about him though is they didn't give him anything that he can do like within line of sight without having to worry about a range that's true like he's he's the leader he's like the the emperor of the freaking empire and he has to get up there okay i gotta move and do this you know (laughs) come on (laughs) like it would have been nice if he had even one of his abilities could just been line of sight kind of thing instead of having to worry like vader's force choke Vader has force choke, which you know it maybe not. Yeah, I mean even 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 the one where he's like choosing a 
a figure within four spaces and have him perform an attack. Get rid of the four spaces and just had it be choose a figure line of sight. Well, they do that with his command card. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't look at his command cards. That's my fault. So for his two-point card is when you use Emperor, you may choose any other friendly figure or any... Sorry, let me say that again. You may choose any other friendly figure on the map instead the map. of another friendly figure within four spaces. Yeah. So I still I still think if they would have gotten the, rid of the four spaces and made it line of sight and then his, have his two-card be, be anybody on the map, map that would have made him a little bit better. Just, just a little bit better. Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. They, but they have to put in some sort of weaknesses in these cards for some yeah. reason. Maybe just to try and make it so that the power creep is slightly mitigated each rollout. I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. But, I, you know, I'm not really seeing a huge power creep so far. Like, Oh, just wait till Ahsoka. Okay, let's look at Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka! Ahsoka Tano. Uh, force user, leader, spy for the rebels. Eight cost, 12 health. Uh, four speed, white die defense, melee, blue, green, green. So it's pr pretty good. And a lot of a lot of surges. Surge for plus two wounds. Surge for pierce three, and surge for gain plus one or gain one wound token. No inherent abilities, just those um, surges. Activate to do a force leap. Place your figure in an empty space within six spaces. Pretty decent. You know, mm -hmm. it's, like a, it's like a she has her own jetpack. Mm -hmm. Even better than a jetpack. Uh, vigor at the start of your activation you may move, gain two movement points or one d defense token so that's makes her even faster so that's like you know the minimum you know if she's moving that's six move or she's you know, deceptively fast jump she's extremely fast yeah. yeah and then twin sabers while attacking you may reroll all attack dice or force the defender to reroll all defense dice so finally the rebels get yeah. something to mitigate the white die that everyone else has been yep. getting for a while now. And she's if you're just looking at her speed, you're not going to realize how far she can actually reach to attack, which can catch opponents out. Yeah, and she's then, either moving, you know, 2 and then 4 or 2 and then 6. And then you get her uh command card, which is only a point, and what it does is when she's attacked the attacker suffers a wound in return. But, yeah, but if you use a defense power token which during the attack, which mm -hmm. he gets for free, it does three wounds in return. Oh, so that's something you have to keep in mind when you're attacking her is, I mean, she could finish off someone yeah. that attacks her. Even if she's going to go down, she's going to take you with her kind of yeah. thing, stuff yeah. like that. So, wow. Yeah, she's, She's a decent, and she's got uh, the force user trait, which there's a lot of like rebel force users at this point. And leader and, and spy, like spy too. Like you get some spy people in there with her. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's the uh, she's definitely the powerhouse out of the three that that came out. Wow. And and she stacks well with uh, the last like chopper and mm -hmm. uh, what's her name? Hera. Hera. Thank yep. you. Yep. Uh, so like the. The rebels they've been bringing out kind of match each other. Yeah. Where the other ones, like the emperor, seems to be more of filling a hole. Yeah. Where these guys are continuing with the theme with the rebels cartoon, mm -hmm. and kind of work off of each other better. So. Yeah, we'll definitely see. out of the three that came out, she was. She was the most appealing. She was the most appealing. 
Um, I'd say followed by the Emperor for me, but that, yeah. that's a play-testing thing that needs to be done to really choose yeah. whether he's going to be valuable or not. Yeah, definitely have to give him a try and, and see how he, he, he performs in the field for his points and see if he'll ever you know, see even tournaments or, or not. Yeah. Um, some of the other cards they're, they're previewing. Uh, looking for a fight, Brawler. Use during your activation to gain a wound token. Then either move up to one space or push an adjacent small figure up to one space. So for a, a zero point card, you get a wound token and you can you know maneuver things around a little bit. Um, and it doesn't cost an activation to do it. It's a, it's a, you, know, you just just play it on one of your brawlers. Um, face to face, another brawler card. This one's an activation to use and it's one point. Move up to two spaces, then perform an attack targeting an adjacent figure or, or object. Um, not bad. Like it, it's a it's a way if if you just need a little bit of extra range, it, it gets you a little bit closer. But it's again only good for brawlers. So. But it what it also does is because it gives you the attack after the movement of two spaces. Yeah, it allows your brawler to close a short gap, make an attack, and then maybe to some form of safety to draw people back in like back to your own forces and stuff like that so it gives brawlers a little bit more movement that they've been lacking well not all of them have been lacking but something like wookies say that mm -hmm. used to get a lot of play time and then slowly dropped off because they weren't fast enough couldn't get into melee well enough because yeah. of how much stun there was at the beginning this kind of helps some older units I think yeah it could definitely, yeah. And, you know, decent card for a point. Death blow any figure, uh, one point. Use when you declare a melee attack to apply plus one wound to the attack results. If the defender has the ranged attack type, apply an additional plus one wound to the attack results. So it's kind of like uh, opportunistic. Yeah. Where you're getting a wound to an attack if you're melee well, specifically, but then it goes up to two in situations for a single point. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's some good, definitely some good cards that'll help finishing things off. Like try to get, get and all these ones points. I think are the ones that come with Maul. Is it mostly they, Maul? Yeah, all these ones I think up to yeah. Chaotic Force. And then yeah, next one's Chaotic Force. Um, anybody can use it. Use at the start of a round. Oh, the start of round card. If your affiliation is mercenary, that must be one that came with him too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, each player chooses up to three figures. Roll one green die. Each of those figures suffers strain equal to the accuracy re result for two cost. So this is anti-mercs then. No, if your affiliation is mercs. Yes. Okay, no, yeah, no, it's not anti-mercs. But, but, yeah. I, I don't... I, I'm assuming that the player says, or the card says, choose up to three figures for the cases where you have less than three figures left on the board or something. But why would you ever choose any figures and each player chooses up to three figures so like you're choosing three and they're, and choosing, they're choosing three, three. so you're hurting yourself too so why uh, my question is, is why would you ever choose any if you can choose up to three yeah. i would choose zero because why would i want to suffer the strain well unless you're the merc and you're having under duress out but you're forcing them to. But they don't. If they don't have to choose, 
I, like I said, I'm pretty sure the wording, up to three the wording's yeah. probably just screwed up, and that you have to choose. There was probably, yeah, if they mean that, then there's going to be an errata. Yeah, yeah. But it just it seems like a foolish card because if you're a merc and you have under duress and you play that card and the person doesn't have to choose any, it's kind of a waste of points. So I'm assuming it means that you have to choose three, but it's yeah, kind of worded weirdly. Up to three, so it means you have to choose at least one. Like even even giving it the the option of one to three is like okay, you probably want them to choose three. Like, well, yeah, because you want to cause the most strain as you can. Yeah, because they're either getting rid of cards or they're getting rid of wounds. So. That's a weird card. Yeah. If that's how they meant it to read, it's a really weird card. It, it's just worded poorly, I think. Yeah. Unless there's unless there's something that's coming out that we haven't seen yet that you want to have strain on yourself. But you can't keep strain. Strain is either command cards or it's or not wounds. like the campaign. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it's either strain. command cards or wounds. No, that's a weird one. I Yeah, I'm having a hard time. I can't rock that. And that was... Uh, that was all of Darth Maul's command cards. Then you start to get into the ones that come with Palpatine, where you have his card, which we've discussed, right. and then prepared for battle, which is an any figure can use. And during your activation, you gain a wound power token and a defense power token. And then if you're a leader, an adjacent friendly figure also gains both of those for two points. Mm-hmm. I don't know how effective power tokens will end up being for older troops because they seem to be a lot of newer troops that play off of power that tokens. That trigger off of power tokens or not. Yeah. Gain if you run leaders and adjacent friendly figure gains. Well, that could also be really good with older people who have a lot of adjacency things. Like Soren, uh, he has those abilities that are, you know, an adjacent vehicle can, um, you know, bombard or whatever, right? So. Yep. If you're giving power tokens as well, and then you order something to bombard, it'll get extra wounds they can do. Yeah. So it can it can definitely benefit some of the older guys, um, especially the people like that. And then dark energy. I don't force really user. get why this is imperial force user specific. Yeah, imperial force user. Well, dark energy. I guess the name. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> it it's just a a push. Yeah, user during activation and a wound. Choose another small figure within three spaces. Push that figure up to one space. Then like, it suffers a wound. It's not a unique ability that's no. just now coming out. It's There's a few people that come with it on their card to be able to do yeah. that type of thing. Like Chopper can and mm-hmm. uh, whatever and, that Onar, I think it is, can run into people and push yeah. them. And, yeah, he, he pushes people. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if it needed to be a one-point card for something like that. Maybe like a zero-point, but... I guess this has a range of three spaces. Yeah, range of three. It's... Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever take that. Because, yeah, specific Imperial Force users, so... Palpatine Invader. Palpatine Invader, And so, the Inquisitor. Inquisitor. So, it's like three people you'd use it with. And if you're taking all three of them, you don't You're wasting your points. <laughs> any other Force left. Yeah, and so... Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of synergy. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, that'd be more for fun play. And then here's the Imperial version of the one that I was just criticizing. Yeah, the Corrupting Force. <laughs> corrupting yeah. Force. These are the start of the round. If your affiliation is Imperial, each player chooses up to three figures, rolls a blue die, and each of those figures suffers wounds equal to the wound result. Yeah, again, another weirdly worded um, card. That Which... Is two points, and once we talk about the rebel version of this card, will seem like garbage. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then 
we'll get into the rebel stuff there. Let's see here. <laughs> so then they get force push for the rebel stuff. Yeah. Which is someone within three spaces gets moved two spaces with no wounds. Yeah, and that's a good for maneuvering. Like, yeah, it doesn't do any wounds, but it's really good for maneuvering. Well, it's people. good for helping your own side more than hurting the other side, I think. Yeah, because it doesn't say you have to be a bad guy. Just yep. push somebody three spaces, a small figure. So, But force jump. Now, I like this card that comes with her Ooh. because it makes any force user able to do that jump that, that, that she, she gets. So yeah, they can just... leap five spaces. Well, it's it's basically, yeah, it's, well, plus there's also other things there, but it's basically jet pack. For force users. For force users specifically. Yeah, move up to five spaces during the movement. You gain mobile. You cannot end your movement in a space that contains blocking your impassable terrain. That's only a point. So it's a little, yeah, it's only a point. It's a little bit better than jetpack because it makes you mobile because jetpack doesn't have Well, what have I'm that. thinking is specifically of is Luke. How many times does Luke have to be exposed to mm-hmm. get off all of his attacks and yeah. he can be killed through assassinate and things mm-hmm. like that? With this, you can hide him in a place that's inaccessible and then force jump him over terrain and stuff that wasn't passable before. Right. And suddenly he's got his attacks and then can move back or do two attacks, that kind of thing. It makes him a little more deadly, I think. Which is why it came with Ahsoka, probably. Did they have to whole put the whole mobile thing in there? Like Yes, because you have to be you need to be able to go over top of like red terrain and stuff blocking tiles i guess that jet pack doesn't let you do that does it because it's no because it, you get to five ignore, spaces yeah it's five spaces where this this you can go over the blue without t- spending the extra points well jetpack you don't spend the points either because it's it's five spaces not five movement points and this says specifically five movement points but you get nope. mobile or no no this says five spaces as well but during the movement you gain mobile yeah because you, you have to be they clearly state that it's to get through blocking or impassable terrain you just can't end your turn on but blocking. it says you can't con- yeah but but you can go over it i guess i guess so like a red a red square with even with jetpack you couldn't go over that red square you'd have to go around it whereas with this you could go over that red square yeah probably i guess if it doesn't give mobile that would be correct yeah i guess that's the only kind of niggly there yeah because otherwise Jetpack's also five spaces, but yeah, it doesn't say mobile, but when you're doing spaces, the only time mobile would be advantageous then would be going over a red, yeah, blocking terrain, yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. So then the Rebels version of the previous two is balancing for us. Yeah, use the start of a round. If your affiliation's Rebels, each player chooses up to three figures, roll a red die. Each of those figures recovers wounds equal to the, yeah. So (laughs) would you rather do one or two wounds at an important part like whenever you happen to get that card for the imperials or would you rather recover something like choose three of your guys recover three wounds and up to three wounds you know depending on what you roll um but then your 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 opponent but i guess it depends what your opponent's playing like it may not mean as much to your opponent as it does to you so It's definitely situational. Well, but that one I could actually see working. And <laughs> You would yeah, want yeah. to choose to have that happen to you as the Rebels. There's no yeah. negative to it. It's that you're healing the other side potentially. Right. But Whereas the other side, the other cards is the other player 
could not choose any of the things to have any of the bad effects happen there's an advantageous time to use this card if you know that there's nothing the other your opponent can use it on and you can so you just finished off their big guy you can play this at your next round Mm -hmm. to heal your big guys where the other one you're always i'm assuming because you have to choose up to three if possible is how i'm going to interpret the intent of the card you're always damaging three of your people if they're there yeah so. Yeah, if there's if if, if it, those other ones are meant to be that you have to choose when they're saying up to, it's not a choice of one, two, or three. It's you have to choose three of your guys if you can. Yeah. Then yeah, that that totally makes sense. And that that's how I would assume the intent of the card is supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, but if it's a choice of you choose up to three, you know, I choose zero, <laughs> then that that doesn't work. Then it makes more sense the way you're you're, you're thinking it's supposed to be. Which, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fool me once. Uh, any figure card too strained to use use during your activation to return your opponent's command discard pile to the game box then if you are a spy draw one command card now this it comes with rebels but it actually is something that if you're still using leia at this point is going to just piss you off if someone uses if it somebody against, uses it against you. you absolutely yeah <laughs> it, it's like her entire ability of cycling in son of skywalker or something is just as soon as son of skywalker is played you play you this play that and get rid and of get it. rid of it yeah. i mean it's worth two wounds to get rid of that card and it's a zero point zero card point. yeah and it's like yeah that's a good card yeah, that's that will definitely be seeing you'll see that in card but index it, i think it was purposely placed in hers to force other groups to buy which is a little dirty yeah, in my opinion sure but when you're at this point in the game you're probably buying you're it all buying anyways. it all anyways yeah <laughs> absolutely and then i think is that it yep that's all the new stuff yeah that's all the new stuff so that's all that's coming out or is out as maybe or, or now is out i should say yeah not coming out now is out so um been added to the imperial assault game um we are interested in, in definitely going through the campaign so at some point in the future we will be you know i'm sure you'll hear us talking about the, how the how the new campaign is and and what we think about uh about how it how it plays out but um yeah uh so that's that's it for the imperial assault segment this week or yeah this episode um anyways thanks for listening make sure to follow us on our website um we're on facebook at board now gaming we're at twitter uh, we have a subreddit where we're throwing these things so you can comment there's various places where you can you know shoot us a, a message either through email through reddit through our guild on board game geek we have a link to it on our webpage. um so please reach out you know if you have any um have any questions or you have any comments you know how did you feel about our matchup this week did you uh did you agree with it did it make sense to you that we put these two games against each other i thought since they're both the kind of games where you're building your tableau in front of you and they both have you know some they both have you know buildings that you can activate or whatever there's a little less inter player interaction um in these games maybe a bit more in aura than there is in castles but you know a little bit there but, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, reach out and uh, send us your messages and we'll uh, read them on the next episode. But until next time, um, thanks for listening and uh, keep on gaming. Board now. You're standing out the back. Your eyes are to me.
gold 